Welcome to the Digital Workplace Podcast. These are conversations with CEOs of digital companies, thought leaders, and solution providers about how you can become a level five digital workplace. For the show notes and transcript of this episode, go to thedigitalworkplace.com. Welcome back to the Digital Workplace Podcast. Today, our guest is Stephen Worley. He is the founder of Life Skills That Matter. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing today? I am amazing. And I just want to say, I've been on a lot of podcasts, and I'm glad we had a chance to chat before, but you sent some pretty, pretty provocative questions that I needed to really think about how I want to answer, and I really appreciate that you did that. Well, that's an honor because you are a provocative guy yourself. So to be able to provoke you is something I didn't really <laughs> intend. But go ahead and tell us about yourself and about your company, what you do. Sure. I'm on a mission to help people create work that works for them because I like to remind people that the current work system that you exist in was never designed for you. It was designed for the needs of corporations, organizations, and companies. And um, their needs are changing very quickly as a lot of economic changes are happening. And we're all feeling more and more out of alignment. And that's exhibited as anxiety and overwhelm and stress and not feeling enough, depression, all these things that I think everybody, one of us is experiencing one of those things by now. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's me, I'm the problem. But it's not. We just have uh, massive changes going on in our economy. And I generally advise people to consider working for themselves. I think that's the fastest way, kind of rip off the band-aid to really understand how to adapt to how to work is changing, whether you end up doing that for the long term or not. Now, Stephen, I think you're scaring the kids a little bit. Most people who listen to the show are our CEOs of growing companies trying to build a digital workplace. And if you're telling people that they should just go off and work for themselves, it's kind of at odds with what these people are trying to do in terms of building a vibrant atmosphere. So why should they keep listening? Because I know the really forward-thinking, innovative CEOs who listen to your show realize that it is more important to start building a team of people who can think for themselves, manage themselves, and solve problems very quickly in the face of what I call a permanent state of accelerated change. They do not want to hire. They're not hiring cogs anymore. They know that, especially in the digital space. Uh, So they, and also a lot of the Uh, the teams that they're running out are going to be working remotely. So they need to be able to have these folks managing themselves, be motivated on their own, or to be even inspire other people on their team to get motivated because the boss man can't do it all anymore. So when you talk about the people who are self-managed, you've interacted with a lot of people over your career trying to help them to walk in this path. What are the, the signs that somebody can do that, can see problems for themselves, can solve problems for themselves, uh, can go about this. What are those kind of general characteristics you see? By the very nature of being a human being, we all have a capacity to survive. It is an instinct. We are hardwired for it. We, again, have just been raised in an economic system that has told us, you can't. You need us. You need to follow the directions, keep your head down, and defer to the authority. That message is still being sold to us to our detriment. We don't need that anymore. We need to tell people, you have amazing natural gifts inside of you. Now, I'm saying those gifts are infinite, varied, and maybe they haven't been doled out very fairly to everybody. We also live in a system that only prizes intelligence, and there's many different types of gifts and skills that we really need to start looking back to and toward again. So I think there's varying degrees to the success of how people want to manage themselves or how effective they will be, but I think more people have the capability of managing themselves than they were led to believe. 
So let's jump into this idea of intelligence, because on one level, I might agree with you, but I might not. So I want you to explain what you mean by that we only value intelligence. Have you ever hired um, an electrician or a plumber or somebody to clean your gutters and you just got to chit-chatting with them? You came away with them being like, wow, they are amazing. I had no idea what it is that they do. Sure, yeah. We don't... Again, a lot of us assume like though different professions don't require necessarily a lot of intelligence. Until you actually start to try to become a plumber yourself, then you realize you you have no clue what's going on. I happily call the plumber. (laughs) Happily. I had the same guy back in Boston for like 10 years. You know what I mean? And I would have referred him to everybody in my neighborhood because he was that good. So I think... um, there's a very small subset where there's the old story that people would say, um, for the next 30 days, do you want all the cardiologists to go on strike or do you want all the sanitation workers to go on strike? And then everybody's like, the cardiologist, I'll take my chances, like if I get a heart attack or not, right? So I think that's where we've myopically look, like right now our entire economy is organized around just thinking about artificial intelligence and automation. It's not about thinking about how to make society better for all humans. And that is a problem. Hmm. We are creating a problem. We're making the problem worse. Yeah, but I do think, and I'm going to stay on this word intelligence because I hear that a lot when people are hiring. Like, I just want to find a smart person for this role. What does that mean? They, yeah, that's what I would say to them. Exactly. What on earth does that mean? Because then I would want to peel away. It's like, tell me about your needs. Think of a worker in the past where you're like, gosh, I would love to hire 10 more people like this. Well, what characteristics do they have? What was it about it? And when you start peeling that back, Neil, that's when you start seeing like emotional intelligence, their soft skills, um, their ability to get things done, their ability to um, uh, problem solve in the moment or to console a fellow coworker to get them back on track. So I think necessary. You, you don't want just to have an entire team of people who have 1,600 on their SAT scores. Maybe your engineering team, possibly. <laughs> but that is not necessarily the only thing. Again, back to... If, we're going, if people are going to be managing themselves, people who are just purely book smart aren't always the people the best at managing themselves because they're so cerebral and just lost in the clouds and we need them to be there. Well, and I'll even say like, I was one of those people that did really well in school. I was very, I was very book smart. I found less use for that skill and almost less hireable because the reason I was book smart, the reason I got good grades is because I knew the system. The system was set up. The system was understandable to me. I got it. I understood it. I knew how to excel in that. Then I entered into a world where there was no system. Like I had to create the system on my own and try to figure things out. And I really struggled for many years in that to figure those things out. So I feel like in some ways being good at school like impaired me for a lot of parts of the business world. There are probably still some functions in business that, hey, the system's set up. Here's what you got to do to succeed. Just do it. Follow the plan. Well, it's, well, because you were educated to survive in the system. Like yeah. I always tell people, think of the system as the zoo. Hmm. And it seems secure and stable, like your food's delivered at a certain time, you know your role, you know what you're supposed to do. But then one day, you get thrown out without Mm -hmm. notice into the jungle, like I did when I got laid off 20 years ago, Election Day 2000. And it is, like, I was like, it took me five years. I'm like, whoa. I mean, I was like, out of my element. Like, how do you survive? I'm out in the jungle. Like, everything's unpredictable. What's going on here? But now what I would tell people is, every time you get a new job, you have to learn that microsystem, that native system every time you get a new job. But 
like you and I, now we've created our system for the rest of our lives. Not saying that's not going to change, but we're going to be more nimble and, and be able to adapt more quickly than being stuck in somebody else's system. Yeah. So that is the huge advantage. I always tell people, you're going to be stressed out one of two ways, either constantly figuring out somebody else's system or just take a few years to build your own system. That's the difference. It's true. So when you tell people it's going to be better to work for yourself, when you're telling CEOs, hey, you need to think about hiring people who are self-managers, these independent thinkers, let's address one thing. One is this unnecessary coupling that we have with healthcare and employment. Like you have to have a job to get benefits. That's going to end. I mean, it's only a matter of time. Let me, let's even put that out there. There's no defense of that system anymore. And I think a lot of people who are employed have figured that out too, because they're seeing their deductibles go up. They're seeing the benefits that their employer-based healthcare insurance is going down. So even people who are employed realize like, this system is not as great as it was once sold to me. So let's imagine that we've achieved that solution. Healthcare is no longer tied to employment. Now we have CEOs and digital leaders out there who are trying to figure out who's going to be better as a full-time employee and who's going to be better as a contract worker? What's going to be better for them? When, when you remove that system of, oh, and it's the health insurance, you take that conversation out, I feel like it's a less dangerous conversation to get into. And I would like your opinion on like, how do you define the difference between the two and what works for one or the other? I've always kind of looked at it in two ways, two types of workers another way. There's like the starter problems of creative people. And then once it's kind of created, they get like distracted and bored. And then they like to pass it off to the maintainers, the executors, the keep it going people. So I think those are the two roles. And we need both of those people in the world. You know, the, and I think sometimes maybe the maintainer keep it going people are looked down upon by the starter creative people. And I think that's horribly unfair. We need both of these types of workers. So if you're talking to CEOs who are leading these teams... Does that mean like once you find, hey, I got my system down, I just need those maintainers. So I'm going to enter into, for lack of a better term, a a long-term contract with this person that looks like a full-time employment as it is, as opposed to, hey, I got an idea for something. I'm not sure if it's going to work out yet. It may be a big thing. It may not, but I'm just going to hire in these kind of short-term contract people to try to figure it out. And then if it works well, then I'll either keep them on or find other people to maintain it. Like, is that a model you're thinking of? Yeah, I think it's just like you have your startup people, which has a different skill set than the people who actually then build your infrastructure, your systems, right? This is what I'm always teaching in Outer Accelerator. There's kind of like the research exploration phase of your business. And then you've got to start thinking of setting up your habits or processing your system for the long term, because that's how you create value. No, it's a really fascinating conversation to have because, again... I think that healthcare piece is, is like the biggest one. I'm sure there are other issues out there about, you know, if somebody's 1099, if they're W-2, like there's some tax implications. We can figure those things out too. No, I mean, but the number one question I get that holds people back from working for themselves, even if they're deeply interested, is the healthcare question. For sure. The other thing that I think comes up is they're concerned about uh, consistency of being able to pay their bills. If we could remove those two blocks... I think we could have a lot more innovation and creation again. I mean, I've seen studies, maybe you've had too. It's just disappointing from all that we talk about entrepreneurship and all the digital developments and innovation we've had in the last 20 years. Actually, the rate at which the average American is creating businesses is declining. That is not a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we look to build more teams of work, like you said, they're, they're going to have people that have both skill sets. Let's move to another topic. Uh, you and I are both white men. We were able to bounce back from situations. We found it maybe difficult, but not impossible. And so this kind of new world is exciting to us. But let's think of it from other people's perspective. How does maybe project-based work 
help and hurt groups that have been historically oppressed. Yeah, I don't know. Like every time I go to any type of tech or entrepreneur marketing conference, it still, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just a bunch of white guys. It's like blows your mind. So unrepresentative of the United States. The way our message, you know, this idea of create work that works for you um, is very attractive to um, women, people of color. You know, we attract more of those folks to what the work that we do because the system was never created for their needs at all. So I think in the short term, what I'm hearing from women and women of color, especially if I'm not sure if you would realize this, but in terms of all demographics in the United States, women of color, specifically black women, have created more businesses faster over the last decade than any other group. Yeah, they're the ones that are, are actually creating businesses. Yeah. And they're incentivized to do so because conventional work is baloney to them, right? And so uh, so I think that in the short term, there is a great, uh, this idea of creating work that works outside of the system, project work, this is a bonus. I think where I would caution, I would caution folks, is when if you have lower skilled kind of gig work things, Uber drivers or delivery folks that are people who are shut out or don't have as many conventional work options, I think those folks get taken advantage of. Yeah. And that is not cool. Or, you know, we need to protect them and think about that. So I think it's not an either or. I think it's a gray area. I think there's a lot of pros and I think there's cons to be aware of too. Yeah, it seems like positions like Uber drivers and delivery drivers are in our current world essential, but it's like the worst of both situations when they say, okay, we're not going to treat them as employees and they're not going to really have the benefit and to be able to leverage and, and negotiate and to, to show more value in the work this they're doing. This is my idea. I feel like all gig workers of that level of like, you're just, it's a platform and people are just almost essentially being paid on an hourly basis. I think it's up to, um, you know, Uber and Lyft and, um, seamless, any delivery service, TaskRabbit. I think there should be training and education to, uh, to teach them about this opportunity property. Like an Uber driver has to really understand the full cost of impact on doing this opportunity. It's almost like the warning label on cigarettes. Yeah. You know, just, I think we need to do a better job of informing people and what could, or how could they then, that could be their first opportunity, but then how could they have then developed skills and relationships to then truly build their own business and make more money? Yeah, I mean, Uber's great for getting extra money if you have a car that's working and you don't plan to maintain it. Like, if all that things are good, then you can make a decent amount of money, but <laughs> there's a lot of ifs right. in there. Cool. Yeah, I think this idea about project-based work in some ways, like you said, is liberating to people. They can see advantages in it that weren't there before. I could never go back to an office. I would love to do a documentary of like me going back to an office in 30 days. I would feel like I'm a wild animal in this very domesticated setting because I would be asking like, why like a four-year-old? Like, why are we doing it this way? I don't understand. And people would be like, because you're supposed to. Don't ask questions. Read the HR manual. Talk to the lawyers. Well, let's talk about culture. Culture is a buzzword people use when they talk about the community that's created. They talk about the unspoken rules that are created. When everyone's free just to take off whenever they want and say, hey, it's not working for me, I'm going to do something else. You might see more of that in project-based work or even the employer says, yeah, I just need you for this amount of time. Is that something we should be concerned about, that there are less of these kind of long-term relationships and communities that are around there? Or is that negligible in the grand scheme? That sounds like a question that a traditionally mindseted CEO would ask me because they're worried about losing control. It's a control issue. 
I would say that we have a false sense of community in our workplaces today. You know, you get hired, you kind of go in there. We all realize like there's some people that we really felt connected to. Then there's a lot of people that we weren't. Um, or there's like the dead weight, the people you just don't even respect. You're like, how do they even get hired here? And they sure about, well, we can't fire them for X amount of reasons. So I think as somebody like myself, when I get to choose who I work with, I feel like I am much more intentional about building a community. So if I were a CEO, I would be much more intentional about building community. I think there's a lot of smart um, digital CEOs who have done that. I've really been super clear about their values, super clear about the type of work we're doing here, who we're doing it for, how we want to work, and really filtered out people who just weren't energized by that or who weren't inspired by that. So I think there are folks who have done that. I think if you're just still running a business and you're just still cranking out numbers and you're just filling seats and getting warm bodies... You know, you're not creating a culture. You're just you're just going to always have a very transactional view of the people that you're hiring, and you're going to look at them at that. You're literally going to look at them as a resource and not a human being. So I think I think with remote work, there has, there requires greater intention. So I think there's a greater opportunity to have more conversations about trading, creating true community, and people want to come together. You know, I think people, that's the other thing. It's not an either or thing here. I think there's still, we're going to create a lot of moments about what are the work activities that are appropriate to bring everybody together in person and what's the work activities that people can kind of do on their own. So I, again, I think there's going to be a spectrum of that depending on the culture of the company, depending on the industry, the professions, and the type of people that you're hiring. I'm thinking about people we've had on the show before, other people who have, have written in. And I mean, these are genuine people who are trying to to feel like they want to create that community as well in the culture. And I'm even thinking back to the conversation around healthcare. Like we had to tie healthcare to, we didn't have to, we did, we decided to tie it to employment at some point. FDR did that. So he would, he, that was his way of getting a vision of getting more people covered with healthcare. He's like, all right, I'll get the, I'll throw a tax deduction to the corporations, get them going here. And that's why we have this wonky system that is horribly out of date. But what if we looked at community in the same way? Like, because a lot of times the company, the organization you've worked for has almost been a surrogate for the community that you would have normally had in terms of your family, your extended family, the neighborhood you live in, those types of things eventually your kind of social structures almost shifted over to the place that you were had to show up to for 30 years or 40 years or whatever. And so your work was almost forced to take on that idea of community, whether it did it intentionally or not, whether it did it well or not, it was almost there too. So if we move to a system where work is more transient, is more at will, is more things that come about, do you think that, like you said, some amount of people would just naturally be attracted to each other, like to work together, have that instant community as well. But we may also need to find places outside of work to say, hey, you know, I don't go to work to get to know people and to be friends with people. Like I have that elsewhere. Do you think that work will always have that component of being responsible for social benefits? I don't think it ever was. I think it tried to be. We've all been to like the holiday office party because we had to go and some of us had some fun and some of us didn't. Again, it's very this contrived sense of community or team building days. Have you ever have you ever participated in a team building day mm-hmm. in your career? I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah. And like, did, what did you think about it? Everyone I've ever participated in, I'm like eye rolling. I do it. I participate, but I'm like, how is this in alignment with building relationships and uh, the intentions we're setting as a business? Where are we going here? I understand. I think there's a lot of other exercises that could be fun. 
and could be relevant to what we're trying to accomplish here right now, but not hiring an outside team building company. Yeah. All right. I'm going to get off the soapbox on that. <laughs> so um, I think there's a benefit here because things are changing so fast that when you have uh, people who aren't spending all their time, I think a lot of us who went through the pandemic are realized like that saying, you know, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family, which is a sad statement. Yeah. But now in the last years, like it's changed. Like all of a sudden that, that maybe things have gotten more centered and recalibrated that, yeah, I'm, I'm intentional. Like these Zoom calls, I have to make the most of them with my coworkers. So that takes on a different dynamic. But then I have more time with my family and friends. And maybe now maybe it's gone too far for some people. Like I really need a break from my family. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think, and then also when you have uh, a culture, number one, it's always about value alignment for me. If I'm a CEO, like being super, super clear about my values so I can attract the values of the team, but also the attract the values of the customers that I want to work with who are going to make my business really thrive. So I think when you have people out and about in the world anymore, not just stuck in the office, I think they, they get to bump up against a greater amount of people who can help them solve different problems that need to be solved within the company or could be turned into potential clients. I'm not saying that every person is going to become a salesperson, but I think there's a greater likelihood of like expanding the network of your company by loosening the reins and not having them in prison in an office all day. Steven, there's a lot of things we got to fix, a lot of things we got to rethink as we go through it. And I appreciate the work that you do in terms of pushing us there. If people want to learn more about you and your stuff, where should they go? If you like podcasts, you're listening to this one, you can check out Life Skills That Matter on your favorite podcast app. And if you're kind of like scrolling around the back of your head, like I'm thinking about working for myself, head on over to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for letting me explore some of the farther reaches of the world of work. It's been fun to chat with you. Thank you for pushing me to uh, really think a little bit more about these things. And if anybody has any questions about anything I said, send me an email. It's possible at lifeskillsatmatter.com. This has been the Digital Workplace Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to leave a review wherever you are. Go to thedigitalworkplace.com and sign up for our twice a month newsletter. It keeps you up to date on the best ways to build a level five digital workplace. Music for the show is provided by City of Sound. I'm your host, Neil Miller. Keep moving forward.